Hey there, I'm Fantastic Dan, and you are listening to the Rise of Sky Talker podcast, where we are going to discuss everything Star Wars related. And uh, to start off, we're going to discuss the 11 films that have come out with the Star Wars title, um, and we are going to talk about them chronologically, and uh, as far as when they take place. Uh, so with me today is my co-pilot, Connor. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, he is a lifelong Star Wars fan, as am myself. I'm actually currently wearing a Kylo Ren t-shirt because I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> but um, yeah, since we're starting chronologically, we're going to talk about The Phantom Menace today. Yes. One of the big things about Phantom Menace was it was crazy after all those years of knowing the original trilogy um, and, and just diving into it as a kid, hearing that it was my senior year in high school, 1999, when they released um, The Phantom Menace. And to me, that was, it was just insanity. I couldn't believe that this was happening. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it, yeah, like for, for so long, and this is before social media, it's before online gaming, it's before all the the things that we've gotten used to. Star Wars was over in 1983. I was three and a half, four years old when Return of the Jedi came out. You were younger. Yep. And that was it. Right? And then, you know, we're from that generation where like you grow up on a trilogy, like that's all there is. You memorize yeah. every frame, every line, every everything. And then when they say they're going to make more, it's like, whoa, that, that came out of nowhere. In a it's way, like another that, Christmas. It is. And, and when, you know, we're, we're going to get there. I don't want to jump ahead too far. But like when the sequels came out or when they were announced, it was a great feeling. But for people our age, the real shock was oh my goodness, they're actually doing the prequels. Yeah. Because, you know, we, you hear teases about it in the original trilogy, you know. Uh, yeah. Oh, you, you fought in the Clone Wars? You know, so seeing a young Obi-Wan to me, and, and a young Yoda, too, was oh, yeah. younger Yoda, um, was just an amazing concept to me. Um, I mean, I, I still remember seeing it for the first time and being blown away by some aspects and, and then feeling like this isn't quite a star Wars movie at, at other times. Yeah. It, it, it definitely felt different than the, uh, the original trilogy, but now having you know, all these years later and looking back at it, um, it's a lot easier to just accept it as, as part of everything. And, and it, it is what it is. I mean, they, you can tell George Lucas wanted to flex uh, the muscles of what CGI could do. Yes, he, he thought he could get it closer to his his vision. Um, and, you know, I completely respect that. But it my initial impression of it, watching it in the movie theater was like, this is a damn cartoon. Yes, because there was so much CGI thrown my way. There was there was a lot of that. Um, and I think this goes to this goes to perspective, like. One of the magical things about Star Wars, 
you know, like you and I, like we're about the same age. Like we got into Star Wars at about the same time. We're, yep. you know, we're original trilogy people. We're we're into the original tridge. <laughs> um, and then when the when the prequels came out, it was almost like you know we're in our late teens, early twenties. It was like, oh, what is this? This isn't Star Wars, right? And because there was nothing they could have done that would have satisfied people of our generation at that time. But over time, and I think this is very common among Star Wars fans, over time, the prequels get better and better. They do. Especially with having, I I just recently completed the Clone Wars. Well, everybody did because they they came out the last season. But leading up to this new season coming out, I watched everything for the first time. Well, I I had seen episodes here and there. but I had I, I just finished everything with everybody else at the same time, so um, I didn't have to go through the weight of the transition between Cartoon Network and Disney Plus. But um, it, they really help out the prequels quite a bit, and you know it's a shame that you need a series, a cartoon series, to help out some movies, but they they really do. Right. I mean, that added a, a ton. And I almost feel like I, I was wondering, you know, when we were talking about, all right, we're going to talk about the prequels. Is it fair to bring up the Clone Wars? Absolutely. Oof. I mean, that that really puts it over the top. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's people that feel differently and that's fine. Everybody's entitled to that, you know, feeling or that opinion. But I, having watched the Clone Wars and not, not being a, a gigantic feel uh, fan of the prequels in years past, um, they, they make them better. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, a lot of the background characters, you're like, wow, that guy looks cool. Like, what's his story? And then you, you might hear a little bit more about that character um, through a couple episodes or a story arc of the Clone Wars. And, you know, it, there's so much material there. It's good to see them using it, you know, uh, and, and all these characters. Because one thing I always loved about Star Wars growing up uh, it's kind of getting away from the Phantom Menace movie, but <laughs> the, the toys were excellent that we grew up with. And yeah. I always got a figure and I'm like, what the hell is this? And I would look at him and be like, wait a minute. And he was just some obscure background character that was barely in the movie. But Right. Like, they, uh, they would never say their name in the movie. Nope. No. Toy and they would have the name on it. Like, oh, yeah. This, yeah. Like uh, the guy... Um, in Jabba's palace, it's like was his name's like Bib Fortuna or whatever. He's got like yep. the the things yep. crawling down his head, like the snakes on the side of his head. He, you know, I, I got his figure as a kid, and I was just like, what "The hell!" Like he's got a name. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It was a big event when it came out. It was definitely heavy on the CGI, um, and it, it's funny to me because there were some areas where they tried to get away from the CGI and they actually brought it back to, to, to fix uh, certain scenes. Like uh, we were discussing earlier in a text message, uh, the Yoda. Oh, Yoda. Yeah. And I remember that was one of the, the standpoints of, uh, I, I remember seeing it um, in the theater and I couldn't believe the puppet I was looking at was considered passable by somebody. Yeah. Because but was, that was almost because it was like contrasted against this at the time really modern CGI technology, and it just didn't fit. No, and I so, was contrasting it to Yoda and movies past. I mean, seeing Yoda, yeah. 
in the original trilogy. I mean, that puppet seemed as lifelike as any other actor in the movie. Uh, so I, I feel like one of the things that's really underestimated about the prequels or just kind of taken for granted in the original trilogy, Lucas is obviously, you know, cutting edge special effects in terms of miniatures, in terms of puppets, in terms of animatronics, just special effects in general. Yeah. And w- with the prequels, like he, I'm pretty sure, uh, Phantom Menace, or maybe uh, Attack of the Clones, one of those two was the first major release to be filmed entirely with with digital oh not not with actual film and i i understand the critiques of that i agree with a lot of them a lot of it kind of looks fake it looks but like this is this is 20 years ago i mean he is he is inventing filmmaking techniques in the two trilogies he was in charge of oh absolutely the, the, the sequel trilogy doesn't invent any new techniques no. they just use what basically he pioneered uh, we'll we'll get to that um but w- there was a little too much green screen sure but you know what the first motion capture character in a major movie on this scale was jar jar banks yep all right and i get that it's fashionable to hate jar jar banks that's fine without that character there is no Gollum in Lord of the Rings. There is no Caesar in Planet of the Apes. There is no Snoke in Last Jedi. So basically, Andy Serkis would be eating out of a dumpster if it weren't for Jar Jar. <laughs> right? And Jar Jar sucks, but that technology... He acts, like, for real, is... too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I, I see what you're saying. He like, and you're right. George Lucas definitely changed film as we know it. Uh, yep. There's no doubt about that. And I mean, the original trilogy. I mean, I think each one of those movies is the top independent film of all time, uh, respectively. They, he just worked magic. His vision. Everybody was eating it up, and. I think it, it, you know, it wasn't just him. I think it was the team that he had to put together, especially for the original trilogy. I think, I think they just had a feel for things and a, a style that they, they put onto it. And like, even like uh, one of my favorite things about the star Wars, the film, there's a lot of favorite things I have about the star Wars trilogy. But one thing I I've always oh, yeah. loved since a child is the design in, of the ships. And uh, they look so realistic but they're so far from realistic at the same time mm. and and i remember uh i think it's the um that documentary on disney plus now but uh, it came with like the uh the dvd set back in the day uh, empire of dreams i believe it's called and one of the individuals from industrial light and magic says i want to see the rivets on it i want to see how it works and like that, like hit with me. I was like, you, you can see that you can see pistons on things and, and you can, the practicality yeah. of how it moves and, you know, the, the S foils of the X wing opening and closing and, you know, just the mechanics of a, a Walker, uh, the AT Walker walking across the snow of a uh, Poth. I mean, you get that feeling. 
But then, like, the ship that you see the most in Phantom Menace is the the Naboo's uh, space freighter there that, that the Queen takes off on. Yeah, the silver one. Yeah, and that thing is so damn sleek. Like, it just felt... It felt so out of place. Like, yeah. I didn't see anything like this before. And this is supposed to take place in the past, not the future. Like, that had a futuristic look to it. So, I mean, I, like, that was one of the things that really took me out of the movie. I mean, that, I, and with, you know, the, all this, the new CGI. And even mm-hmm. the bad puppets, I guess, or bad puppet. I mean, I, I guess they were trying to say that you know, before the dark times, before the empire, we were a lot more sleek and aerodynamic. Everything was prettier and shinier. Oh, maybe. Um, which you know, that's yeah, a good look at it. Get their argument, but it, it's also just you know they they kind of had to accommodate for the obvious fact that like it's thirty years later, and he had a much bigger budget, and he wanted to flex. He wanted to do some yeah. great special effects. He's like. Oh, it was obvious. Better. Hmm. So, um, yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up about the movie too. I mean, there's there's a lot of like little Easter eggs in it. Like, um, you know, the scene uh, in the Senate where they're all outraged over electing uh, Palpatine as mm-hmm. Chancellor, and you hear the Wookiee noise. So you you see the Wookies are being represented. Yeah. And uh, I think shortly after, you can see um, another alien race that's never been shown in a Star Wars movie before, which I, I thought was pretty interesting. Um, that's also in a famous movie from Steven Spielberg. Oh, E.T. Yeah, there's a, there's a yeah. bunch of E.T.s sitting there in, uh, in the Senate. They're representing whatever friggin' planet E.T.s from. <laughs> I always thought that was a cool little Easter egg. And I, I love the fact that, like, one of the things that movie did was really expand the universe. Like, when you think about the original trilogy, they're usually on two or three planets tops. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yep. And in this one, it's like, no, there's way more planets, and the detail and the depth of what's going on in those planets, it's incredible. Um, and and they're new. They show you all all the politics. They show you the republic. They and I get that some of that stuff was was boring to certain people. That's fine. But but that's me, how war happens. So much more to the to the lore, the right. Jedi Council, the fact that like in the original trilogy, how many Jedi even appear? Obi Wan, Luke, Yoda, Yoda. That's it. That's it. Like this one, it's like, oh, sh- there's a huge meeting of all these Jedi. Like, <laughs> they're in a squad wow, and they're all dressed the same. <laughs> how does that work? What's going on here? Yeah. It really added a lot more to the lore. Oh, I, I, I definitely agree. I mean, that was one of the, the highlights of the movie, too, is just seeing the Jedi Council and you're like, fuck, they got Sam yeah. Jackson on their team? Like, holy shit, these guys are going to kick some ass. Yeah. But I never understood why they all dressed the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the best scene in the movie. I guess we have to talk about that at some point soon. I mean, hands down, the duel of the fates. 
the duel of fates uh beyond beyond the visual i mean that is so this is an interesting point right it is impossible to watch star wars movies without music oh yeah if, they, if they wouldn't work the score out of it it just doesn't really make sense and right. it's it, it's such an incredible element of all those movies the duel of the fates like oof, i i can't tell you that's not the best star wars score ever yeah it's right up there with the imperial mean, march and yeah, and, and like, maybe really, binary sunset that's a good one too. way up there right yeah the music of star wars is easily one of the reasons uh i i love it i mean and i why i think it works i don't think it would work with any other soundtrack uh i mean it would probably still be a good movie and, and pretty popular but i don't think it would have the weight that it has now um because it, it just adds this classical feel to it and uh you know i was just talking to my wife about it who's, who's a big music fan and she's like yeah john williams should be considered up there with you know beethoven or mozart or some of the great classical music composers of the past you know and we've lived during his lifetime we've been blessed enough to, to be that that fortunate and not only that oh, yeah. we have visuals to associate with the music that he put out i mean and i'm not just talking star wars when i say that i'm, I'm talking about indiana jones i'm talking about jaws uh, i mean you could jurassic do park. jurassic park harry potter i mean the list goes on the guy is involved with some major movie franchises and put excellent music to, to help move that franchise and i i mean it, it's, I, I can't say enough i'm always amazed even today after all these years of of hearing it um the the opening theme to star wars still kind of gives me chills oh yeah um, it's it's yep. just epic yeah i mean i think that's the best word to describe it <laughs> because it really it, it makes it it makes the series epic no argument here yeah and um you know ray park playing darth maul um in in the duel of the fates uh i mean an amazing display of just i mean everyone was kind of blown away at that duel at the, at the time where it came out um and, you know, you can tell how athletic the guy is. Um, oh, yeah, and the physicality of that was crazy. Right. Um, that kind of leads me into one of my critiques of it, though. Like, it kind of, like, it was, there were a couple missed opportunities, right? So everyone, oh, everyone talks trash about Jar Jar. That's, that's an easy target. Like, Jar Jar sucks. But when you have kids and they appreciate Jar Jar, you're like, yeah, okay. But to me, the most compelling characters in The Phantom Menace were Qui-Gon and Darth Maul. Yes. And they both die. Yep. Right? So then it's yep. like, okay, this, this, is not, this is not a standalone movie. This is, this is not a... An animated series on Disney Plus. This is one of the nine installments. Like, th there has to be some weight here. There has to be some stakes. So, in episode one, it's like, well, Qui Gon, super interesting, he dies. Darth Maul, super interesting, he dies. Although, not really. 
Um, yeah, no, that's so, that's something I kind of wanted to bring up. <laughs> and also, Anakin way too young. You know, so if yeah. Anakin were seventeen. Yeah, it would make the whole Padme and him relationship less creepy too. Right. The whole like, oh, it's a 10-year-old slave boy that a teenage girl is into. I'm sorry. I know it's a different galaxy, but that's just kind of creepy. It's just weird. And and that's a theme that goes throughout the prequels too, where it it seems like their relationship is almost forced or one way. Right. Right, and I, I think I think this is the the genesis of that. It, it's forced because it's not believable. Because again, how is a teenage girl falling in love with a ten year old boy that right. she never sees for a decade, and then it, it just doesn't it, it doesn't make sense. It, it's it's an unforced error. One thing I did notice, uh, I I rewatched it a little bit earlier today leading up to this discussion and you know i kind of had it in the background while i was doing other things but one thing i picked up on and, and don't i don't think i really appreciated was padme as a character i mean she's pretty important and she does a lot of important things to, to move the movie along yeah and and she's undercover most of the movie which i, I think is kind of cool like because it's I don't know, just that defense tactic. It's like, all right, you know, people are out to get me. Well, they're gonna they're gonna get my, uh, you know, servant instead, and I'm gonna be out in the field. I mean, she's holding the gun throughout like the whole like fourth act of the or fifth act of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Just that was something I don't think I really appreciated before, and, and just having watched it. But um, I mean, overall. You you look at that cast that they put together. Um, you know, you got Liam Neeson, you got Ewan McGregor, you got Natalie Portman, you got Sam Jackson as like almost a background character. Yeah, um, I, I mean the the cast is stellar. Um, but I think overall, the movie suffers from something that I think a lot of the the prequels suffer from. Actually, I'll, I'll say all the prequels kind of suffer from. Mm-hmm. It's dialogue. The oh, dialogue yeah. Yeah. is awful at some points. Yeah. And um, Are you it just... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like, it's... Yeah, I it's mean, it's just... It's, it's just, like, objectively bad at certain points. And I, I know that George... It sounded like George Lucas was a difficult guy to work with. And it seemed like he had a stranglehold on the prequels. And um, I, I think he needed to not have so many yes men around him. I think he needed somebody to be like, George, this, this has got to go back. Like, look, look at this. Like, kind of says the same thing twice here. Like, maybe, maybe that's not necessary. We just added this one line out. Yeah. And, he didn't get that from anybody. So in a sense, his team let him down, I think, because I know he handled a lot in making both the original and the, the prequels. Uh, that, that's he, kind of the feeling. The I original get. trilogy, he, he wrote all of them, but he only directed the first one and the prequel. Right. He wrote and directed all of them. Right. Um, right. 
So that, yeah, that may have been a bit much. I feel like he needed somebody to help him along with some of these lines because they they were rough. And, and seeing some of these actors that, you know, I, I've loved in other movies, both before and after, um, just struggle with some of these lines. So, I mean, yeah. it, it's a credit to them as actors, too, and especially when they're delivering, delivering some of these in front of and gr- behind green screens. I mean, overall, like, I, I don't... I don't hate the Phantom Menace. It's definitely not the worst Star Wars movie ever. Nope. Uh, if you want to get into the, our our rankings, that would be cool. Yeah. But I I feel like it's a missed opportunity in the sense that it's a it's a great story, but it shouldn't have been an actual movie. <laughs> Episode one should have been. It, it, like it should have started with Anakin as a teenager. Yeah, you know, and I think that that would have really served the story a lot better. No, I like, agree with that. Star Wars, on some level, like Star Wars, is for kids. Mm-hmm. Like everyone falls in love with Star Wars when they're kids, including both of us, right? Yep. But that doesn't mean that kids need to be in the movie. Right, and ten-year-old Anakin was just worthless. It was just, it didn't really add that much. Like you could skip Phantom Menace and start with Episode Two and watch the rest of the saga. And are you? What are you really missing? The duel of the fates. The duel of the fates. Well played. <laughs> that's about it. You know that? Like that's that's kind of it, right? Like. Yeah, you get to miss uh, uh, Obi Wan give Anakin a uh, rat tail somehow. That was a nice rat tail, though. Yeah, it's like the sign of a Padawan, right? And then Padme gets that glowing orb at the end, and then peace, peace among worlds. (laughs) That's that's pretty much it. Really is, yeah. So. You mentioned the rankings. Where do you put it? So I have... Oh, oh, let me explain our ranking system here. Um, So we're going to... Me and Connor have both come up with our own ranking system. uh, Or our own separate ranking of the Star Wars movies, I should say. And this is rated 1 being the best, 11 being the worst. Um, And... Yeah, so I, I guess Connor, where do you put that uh, one to eleven? What place would it come in? I have Phantom Menace at number eight. Holy shit! Me too. Wow. That's Great minds think alike. I think so. I don't think we're gonna think alike on some other movies, but I, I'm I'm pretty surprised we think alike on that one. But uh, yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think. There are movies that I enjoyed more, both in the theater and in retrospect, uh, more than I enjoyed The Phantom Menace, both for the first time in retrospect, uh, after letting it stew for however many years it's been. But um, yeah, number eight's where I put it. I mean, from a certain point of view, it's the most important Star Wars movie that there is, because it's the movie that brought Star Wars back 
Remember the movie poster with Anakin standing there and the, the Vader shadow behind him? I mean, the, the, that poster was amazing. The preview was incredible. Yeah. The trailer. And so, like, without that, like, yeah, you can pull holes in that, but without that, like, we're not still talking about Star Wars. There is no Disney Star Wars without the prequels. Yep. And then it became fashionable to just, like, complain about the prequels. The prequels are very good. You ever, did you hear, I think it was, it was Topher Grace, the, the actor from that 70s show, and he's done other things, apparently. Um, he actually edited the prequels down to, like, one movie. And I guess it works out pretty well. And if you think about it with the time jumps, like, you can really fix a lot of the things that weren't really great. If, if you, like, you just time jump, like, you know, nine-year-old Anakin to, you know, rat-tail Anakin to, <laughs> and then some. Like, and, and then eventually to the, the turn to Vader. Yeah. I mean, that, that would, I think that would be an interesting thing to just do my own fan edit someday. And maybe I will, but chances are I won't have that much time on my hand. Because, yeah, like, we, di- we didn't need a 10-year-old Anakin, and we didn't need a 18-year-old Anakin being like, I hate Sands. Right. But I'm going to destroy the galaxy anyway. Like, it's... They, 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 they could have condensed that a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think this uh, concludes our The Rise of Sky Talker podcast. Um, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, feel free to leave any comments, negative, positive feedback. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much is it. Connor, any closing words? I just want to thank you for putting this together and I can't wait for explaining why Attack of the Clones is actually the best film ever made in the history of (laughs) civilization. So so stay tuned for that one because that's probably one where where we'll disagree with that. (laughs) Yeah, that's not really true. No, yeah, that was all sarcasm. Yeah, I... Yeah, That'll be our next one. Um, so stay tuned for uh, the, the Attack of the Clones review. Uh, I hate starring... sand. <laughs> he hated sand. Man, I, I'm i going to have to painfully go back and rewatch that to get an, an idea of what I thought about it in, uh, in retrospect, I guess. Because, yeah, spoiler alert, I was not a fan. But got to get through it. And we will. So, uh, again, thanks, everybody, for joining us, and uh, we can uh, talk to you later. Thank you.